0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's another cricketing hall of fame this week. This week we've got an Englishman, a couple of Australians, a South African um, walking into a bar as well as a Pakistani. It's not a joke. It's the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame episode counting down numbers 70 through 66. Coming up soon. Baudie, we start with a little bit of a bittersweet one this week. I'm gonna hand straight over to you to tell us who's number seventy um on our list of the top order podcast hall of fame.
1: Yeah, evening cheps, a bit of a sad one, this one actually. We didn't in, in- engineer this in any way, shape, or form, but number seventy on the list is the recently passed away Alan Davidson he's passed away this week uh, aged 92 uh, surrounded by his family so Vale Alan Davidson played 44 tests in uh, for Australia in the 1950s 1960s Um, So just the 44 tests, but he did take 186 wickets in those 44 tests at an incredible average of 20.53. Strike rate of 62.2. He took two 10-wicket hauls in his career. Uh, Famously, that one of those was in the Tide Test in 1960-61 against the West Indies, where he also scored 100 runs in that test. We'll get to that. He scored 1,300 runs at an average of 24.59 with five half-centuries in his career as well uh, left arm medium fast swing bowler for australia alongside uh, keith miller ray Lindwall, in that period of australian dominance as far as bowling is concerned in the 1950s
2: yeah, from, from an eye test perspective, I did watch a few videos of him. He's got that scary little hide-the-ball thing when he's running up, which which scares me as a batsman. Uh, but the question I had, well, the stat that's, that stands out to me is around his average. Uh, it's very low, in the uh, low 20s, I believe, or 20 point something. I'll, I'll give that over to you, Baldy. I guess my question is a lot of these uh, is average a stat that you can use or it doesn't hold any weight in the hall of fame because a lot of those low averages uh, in, in the list of top 10 top mm. 20s are all for players who are 80, who played 80 years ago or 100 mm-hmm. years ago uh, how does that does that uh, category or that uh, stat hold any weight for you
1: yeah average holds some weight but jared kimber's interview with us on the top Water podcast unlocks the key to what we need to think about when we think about bowler averages and that's average above replacement player so what i've done in this hall of fame is put together the averages of bowlers in that player's career in that era to put it in some kind of perspective so even though in terms of our top order podcast hall of fame candidates alla davidson's average is top three when you put it in perspective his average above replacement player slips down a little bit it's about 15th and that's because he's got one of the lowest comparable averages of his replacement player across any other players in that era and you're absolutely right guys like clary grimmett jim laker Um, Ray Lindwell, Richie Benno have very, very low comparative averages to compare their averages to. So they've got to be really, really good in comparison to some of their peers. On the other end of the scale, you've got a guy like Mitchell Johnson, who has the highest possible, uh, the highest comparative average of anyone who he's kind of being compared to. So, you know, his average is going to look pretty good, even though you know his average of, of well, I think it's 28, 29, something like that. It's not all that great, but compared to his peers, it's actually actually pretty reasonable. So Alan Davidson has an average of 20.53, so that's good enough for top three all time. But when you look at his average above replacement player, he's plus 7.51, still good enough for 15th of all time and best amongst left-handers. He just edges out uh, my comparison to Alan Davidson in the modern era. Wasim Akram, he's got an uh, AARP an ranked 16th in the Top Water Podcast Hall of Fame stats desk.
0: But, Paulie, I've got a quick question before we kind of move on, and it is stats related. So, I think you might have mentioned there, um, certainly in terms of uh, peer comparison, the second lowest post war average, I think, um, of people that met their Crick Info qualifying um, period. My question, though, is really around two things it, it's, it's where we got to on the sort of longevity piece. He didn't play. Um, that many uh, test matches um, g- comparative, particularly, I guess, to the modern era 44. 44. Mm. Um, and also strike rate with the ball w- was, you know, relatively high. I kind of look at someone and um, we do get a Kiwi into the, the, the five this week, um, albeit by a bit of a technicality. But just to go into bat for the New Zealand boys, someone like Shane Bond, uh, who didn't play as many tests, only played the 18 test matches, but had, a, you know, a comparable average of 22 but a strike rate far lower um, than Alan Davidson's um, 62. How do we sort of, you know, balance up that sort of longevity and then kind of putting it in with some of the more modern stats that we might see and compare players?
1: Yeah, tough one. And this is where we get disagreement with, um, from all, all corners of the, of the cricketing world. Some people will value longevity and, and counting stats really, really highly. I am one of those people who, who places some emphasis on that. You still have to score the runs and take the wickets, even if you get an opportunity to play 100 tests, which is why Alan Davidson, even though he's got an average of, of 20.53, is, is down at 70 and not in the top 25. So there is something to be said for longevity. It's not Alan Davidson's fault that he only played 44 tests. He can't help that. Um, but a guy who plays a lot of tests still gets an opportunity to make those runs, take those wickets, and they have to be able to do that. The thing that I look for in bowlers is, is definitely average, um, but also the ability to take big, big hauls of wickets. So, you know, those five wicket innings, those 10 wicket innings, and also the number of wickets he took per test. You know, he's well over um, four wickets a test there at 186 wickets um, in just 44 tests. So, you know, the, the not only did he do it at a great average, he did it, by taking a lot of wickets per test as well, which is which is important to me from a stats point of view, and the fact that he was a good batter is also very very helpful to a, to an Australian cricket team that had quite a few all-rounders in that era.
3: Bull, well, you've led nicely in there in terms of uh, the batting because I want to touch on that, and I, I think we've we've run Alan Davidson through the ringer in terms of his stats, but I think it's incredibly worthwhile pointing out that he is a brilliant cricketer. You know, uh, you know, and I, I I'd love to I, I would love to to listen to that uh, tied test Stuff one day that you've talked about because I think it's uh, it's tremendous thinking about all those and you know thinking about those sort of he's he's thought of as one of the great Aussie all rounders even though potentially you know you look at his batting average and it's only in the the mid twenties really um, from memory but you know you think about around that time you had they had Keith Miller Davidson Richie Benno who were you know some of the best world all rounders in the world it made me start to think why have Australia not developed more all-rounders I mean I can't really think of any great all-rounders that they've had since then because most of their players although they can kind of hold a bat or bowl a few overs they've never really had genuine all-rounders unless I'm just completely missing someone
1: no, you're not. And Australia don't really encourage all rounders in their national cricket setup. They haven't had to have an all-rounder for a little while. They had a reasonable bowling attack in the nineties, didn't really need a fifth bowling option too much. But I think they they underbowled their their batters who could bowl. They underbowled Steve War, Alan Border under bowled himself. I think even guys like Shane Watson due to injury under bowled himself, you know, even thinking guys like modern guys like Mitchell Marsh didn't really do a lot of bowling in their did in the test side. So I think I mean, if you have a look at those guys that Australia have got there, they've got a lot of, they've had a lot of bowling all rounders. So I don't think Australia have really encouraged bowling all rounders all that much. And I, I just don't think that it's been part of our game for a long period of time. England set up their Test cricket team to have an all-rounder in that number six position. And until very, very recently, Australia haven't encouraged that, but it looks like we've got one in Cameron Green.
0: Well, that's a good place to wrap up Alan Davidson, I think. Let's move on. We've got a Kiwi in the list. Who are we going to
1: talk about here? Dunedin, born, but there's a twist, Baldy. Yeah, Stuart's been hounding me week on week for a New Zealander to make it into the Top Water Podcast Hall of Fame. So I've procured one for him. Not only is he he a New Zealander, but he's a New Zealand spin bowler and he's one of the very, very best. Clary Grimmett, born in Dunedin, as you said, Adam, played test cricket in the pre-war era, 37 tests, 216 wickets in just 37 tests, at an average for a wrist spinner of 24.21 and a strike rate of 67.1. In just 37 tests, he took Ten, seven, 10 wicket hauls and 21 five wicket hauls, and that is just an incredible performance the rate at which he took 10 wickets per match is third all time the rate at which he took five wickets per 100 innings is second all time and his average above replacement player also inside the top 25 uh, f- uh, average above replacement player of plus 5.97 Stuart, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to go to you because he is a spin bowler, and he is a New Zealander. What are your thoughts on Clary Grimmett?
3: Oh, just, just uh, yeah, smile on my face. Uh, I mean, even Binksy mentioning uh, Shane Bond in the last one. Jeez, we're we're getting the the New Zealand plugs out here. It's it's delightful, and um, there's there's no technicality here, Binksy. That he's a New Zealander. He's born in Dunedin, mate. He's he played Plunkett Shield for for Wellington, I believe, at, at 17. So he's a He's a born and bred Kiwi. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I guess New Zealand just couldn't, uh, you know, didn't have the opportunities at that time that Australia did.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. He he went to Australia looking for first class and international professional cricket, and he was able to get that playing um, in Australia for Australia. New Zealand obviously weren't a test playing nation. I think until the early 19. 1930- 30s maybe I, I, I don't quite have my um, I don't quite have my um, stats to hand but yeah so that's that's why Clary Grimmett uh, having been born in New Zealand and played professional first uh, played first class cricket in New Zealand before he became uh, a naturalized Australian and, and lived his days in Adelaide I believe
3: and look Bordy, I, I think it's probably unfair if I don't throw it back to you in terms of him being a, a leg spinner and a, you know obviously a, a tremendous bowler you mentioned the 216 wickets from 37 tests. I think that's seventh all time in terms of wickets per match. He's, uh, he's kind of well renowned for all of the, um, the variations that he brought to the game. I think he's known for developing the flipper um, and just uh, practiced as, I think I read that, you know, he practiced in his backyard with his dog and his dog used to go and collect the ball and he'd just sit there flicking his fingers and clicking his fingers and, he just, you know, sounds sounds like my kind of guy for sure. But, Paul, the, uh, why is he not higher? I mean, he feels like he's had a huge impact on the game. And, and you know, I guess we touched on it in the O'Reilly piece around, um, you know, that it sort of goes from Grimmett to O'Reilly and then Warren and McGill. And and we've just seen this, you know, transition from, you know, Austra- I'll call them Australian leg spinners. Um, but, you know, it seems like he's had a huge impact on the game with what he's been able to do and, and even off the field afterwards.
1: Yeah, massive impact. I mean, he, he, you're right, Stuart. He was widely credited with inventing the flipper. My favourite story here is that he had multiple variations, even on the flipper, and he was continuing to develop them after he retired from, from playing. He would, he would work on his variations. The, the, the lovely little bit of the story that I, that I really, really enjoyed is he disguised his flipper um, and the telltale click of the fingers by clicking the fingers on his left hand as he bowled his regular leg break. So he would bowl his leg break, and as he released it, would click the fingers of his left hand so that when he did it with the flipper, batters wouldn't be able to differentiate between uh, the leg spinner and the flipper. I mean, that's just that's next-level disguise. Um, That is absolutely superb.
2: So I've got another statistical question here for you, Baldy, so strap yourself in. When I had a look at uh, his numbers, Clary Grimmer, he's clearly taking a lot lot of wickets, but when I look at his strike rate, Mm. that's quite high. It's in the low 60s um the good strike rates you know over the history of the game are actually in the low 40s so a strike rate of 60 62 or whatever it is it's not really that sexy i guess how does that compare to other spinners and and how does he sit in terms of that that strike rate metric
1: yeah strike rate of 69 is not all that sexy for a spinner i'm just going to bring up the stats here and have a look at best strike rates amongst spinners ravi ashwin's right at the top um, mcgill and maruli at the top as well warney's up there but Clary Grimmett's kind of middle of the pack in terms of those Hall of Fame candidates. So it's not the best. It's not the worst. It's round about the same as Anil Kumble. near enough as makes no difference. So there is a there is an element of strike rate being important for a spinner. Spinners are asked to bowl a lot of overs, obviously, particularly in the second innings of a test match. So there is an element of bowling a lot of deliveries and, and having a little bit longer to work out your plans to batsman. You know, you can't just blast a guy out if you're a wrist spinner bowling you know, 55 mile an hour, you've got to sort of think them out. And sometimes that takes three, four, five, maybe even ten overs to get that plan into action. So you would expect that those strike rates aren't going to be comparable to Bondi's kind of 41, 42. That does hurt him in comparison to some of those legend spinners like uh, Ashwin, like Maruli, like Warne, um, even Rangan Herath So part of the reason that he's only at, at 70 and not in the, um, or 69 even and not in the top 45, is that strike rate piece, it's also the fact that he's got, and I say only, 216 wickets from his 37 tests. So doesn't quite have some of the longevity as some of the other players do. But test for test, pound for pound, he is one of the best spinners of all time.
0: Yeah, Baldy, look, couldn't agree more. I tried to pick holes in your argument the best I could come up with um was the same as Raj really that the strike rate wasn't there and we got some uh some guys with comparable strike rates that have come a little bit um earlier in the list Jim Laker sprang to mind but when you look at um I think the six wickets per game average um versus some of his contemporaries and others in the Hall of Fame. It really does show a compelling uh, set of stats. Interesting to know whether the click of the fingers with the flipper now would be deemed sort of simulation and, and outlawed from the game. Um, I, I, I say it slightly flippantly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be, be interesting to see whether you'd get away with that now. Um, yeah, as a little bit of deception. But back in that day, you, you'd think that's a most excellent <laughs> brinksmanship, wouldn't you? Let's move on, though, to the next one um, on the list. Who have we got sitting at number 68, Michael?
1: 68 from South Africa, top order batsman, proving that nice guys can finish 68th in the Hall of Fame. It's Hashim Amla. 124 tests for Hashim Amla, 9,282 runs in test cricket at an average of 46.64. Highest score of 311 not out for South Africa, 2,800s in his career and 41 half centuries, an average above replacement player of plus 4.48, which is only 62nd of all time. That average also in the sixties, but 9,200 runs and 28 test tons for Amla. Can I open up? Because I want to
3: just ask here, when I think about uh, Amla, it's really funny. I remember him in kind of the Dravid mold as a test player. I sort of think of him as kind of South Africa's version of Dravid, but then I had a look at his strike rate, because we obviously talked about Jeff Boycott and things. And his strike rate's almost 50 in test cricket, which is actually better than Nathan Astle, Jacques Kallis, Martin Crowe, Jarvid Meandad. And, and then I thought about him as an ODI player, because he opened the batting, and his ODI strike rate's almost 90. His T20 strike rate is over 130. And then I watched some footage of him, and he had a ton of attacking shots. And, and I guess it just strikes me
2: that, am I the only one who thought that? So, so I did have a look at his stats and, and I do remember him as a white ball cricketer. I remember him ticking off all those milestones fastest to this amount of runs. He, he did a lot of that throughout his career and we're talking about the Test Cricket Hall of Fame here and I'm thinking that his best, his, he, he's that good that his best um, format of the game was actually white ball which I found incredible. He also scored two IPL hundreds um, for CSK which, which is incredible. Um, Yeah, so I agree with you. I have that that complete view of him. I guess when I think about uh, Hashimamala, I do think of that consistency. And and I feel like the reason he was so consistent was that he had very few technical weaknesses and, and mentally he was able to really assess pitches and how to bat on them you saw that he batted differently depending on what kind of surface he was on i saw some highlights from him batting in australia in the in 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 the white clothing batting completely completely different to how he was batting in india with the the white clothing on so that's um that's something that really makes uh makes him great for me and i was actually you know surprised to see how far he fell away in his final four tests from a negative sorry 14 tests from a negative point of view where he was averaging 30 in those last two years which kind of takes away a little bit from his aura but apart from that he 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 had great numbers and I think he really led Africa through a time of uh I wouldn't say instability but definitely in inconsistency in terms of um results
0: yeah look it's difficult to scoff at a guy with 9,000 test runs and 28 centuries but I'm gonna and <laughs> and for, for me it, look I guess it comes back to look the stats are an important part of this argument for, for sure but it, it comes back to that sort of impact piece for me and I just sort of look at someone that we've talked about relatively recently on the Hall of Fame Kevin Peterson <laughs> um, so played slightly fewer tests 104 uh, test matches and but had a similar number of 50s and 100s over, um, I guess, a a statistical uh, analysis of those with 2300s and 3550s. And then actually a strike rate that would have got you out of the bar to watch um, in in test match cricket and impact on those games. So, look, yeah, I I guess for me, the the first question on there, can nice guys finish 68th in the Hall of Fame? Well, they they clearly can because he has. But on the eye test alone, yeah, look, I don't even think I'd have thought of him if I was putting together a list of, you know, the 100 players that um, that I would want to watch. But maybe that's the difference here, that um, that's 100 players that I'd want to watch rather than the, uh, the labour of love that is the t- statistics behind this.
3: Baldy, where do the 2800s rank? Because I feel like that is the highest number we've heard for a while. Where, do, where does that actually put him in terms of uh, your list?
1: Yeah, 15th all time. There's only 14 guys with uh, more than 28 Test 100s, 29's Bradman, and then you're starting to get into pretty elite company once you get past 29 Test 100s all the way up to Tendulkar at the top with 51. So, you know, there are very, very few cricketers who got to a 100 more frequently or more often than Hashim Amla did. So, you know, he, he has a very impressive Test career. To your point, Adam, yeah, there are fancier Test cricketers out there, but every... You know, every cricket team needs the blue collar guy who isn't flashy, doesn't, you know, yell, look at me, look at me, look at me. He just goes to work, gets on the keyboard, goes to the, you know, goes to the pressing machine and goes about his job. You know, he does what exactly what you ask him to do every single day. There's no, there's no fuss. There's no, you know, extra stuff about what he's got to do. He just goes in, does his job, goes home to his loved ones at night. Um, or his cat or whatever it happens to be. And, and that's, that's who he is. And every cricket team needs a guy like that. For every Kevin Peterson that you've got, you need a Amla or a Rahul Dravid because it's the, um, it's the, it's the pigeons that allow the peacocks to stand out in a cricket team and every team needs a pigeon or two, to allow the peacock to stand out and, and be beautiful. And Kevin Peterson was a big, beautiful peacock that stood out loud and proud and brash. But it needed a guy like Hashim Amla or or someone similar to be just behind the scenes, making sure that everything happens. Maybe he's like the duck, you know, serene on the surface, but paddling away furiously (laughs) under the water. I've run out of bird analogy, so I think we should wrap it up there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, Baldy, look, I was going to argue with you, but I I feel as if I might push you over the edge. So I think probably (laughs) a a good time to actually move on um, to the next one on the list. So... Uh, Number 67, who are we talking about?
1: 67 on the list is a Pakistan batter who played 120 tests for his country. Again, up around the 9,000 runs mark. He has 8,830 runs at an average of 49.6. With 2,500s and 4,650s, we are, of course, talking about Inzamam-ul-Haq, the bane of New Zealand life, and he's got an AIRP of plus eight point four nine, which is good for thirty second of all time. So a pretty good average above replacement player as well.
2: Yeah, I guess in my mind he was the poster boy for a lazy cricketer, wasn't he? Uh, that, that's what that's what that's what I remember of, and I, and I feel like that's actually a bit unfair. I went back and I actually probably out of all the people we talked about today, I spent the most time looking at him, mainly because it reminded me of what I could have been. Um, but <laughs> He was generally in a great position when he was contacting the ball, and he he looked really good. And, and I, the, while I was... I told you I spent a lot of time on YouTube, I came across that video of him attacking a fan in the stands. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that. But I did some research into that, and that was... Um, Allegedly, because a fan had been comparing him to various kinds of potato for far too long over a megaphone, and uh, he he got a bit annoyed about it. But in all seriousness, uh, the, the best stat I could find about him, which I think is actually incredible, is that he averaged 49 or over. In seven different countries, which which is an incredible stat when you actually think about that, um, including New Zealand, where that can be you know that's as foreign to his home conditions as possible. I uh, average in the mid fifties, I believe. So, uh, yeah, I think he was actually a, a great batsman and probably gets tarred with a brush that may not uh, may not be fitting for him. I think.
3: Yeah, look, I can't really be reasonable here because I still probably haven't really got over what he did to New Zealand in the 92 World Cup, so I just can't really be impartial. And and he just smashed us in the tests as well. I think he averaged. I had a quick look because I remember him just getting runs and runs and runs, and yeah, he averaged 66 against New Zealand in tests, including his 329. And uh, and I thought, oh, well, I'll have a look at that scorecard. And then, uh, so Pakistan scored 643 in the first innings, bowled New Zealand out for 73, and then, not surprisingly, we lost that game by an innings and uh, in quite a lot of runs. And, yeah, weird, weird sort of game. Shahida Freedy got a golden duck opening the batting for some reason. Uh, and uh, Inzamam got co- The person that dismissed Inzamam that day was Brooke Walker, if anyone uh, listening to the podcast remembers him. So, uh, yeah, one of the forgotten leg spinners of, of New Zealand cricket. But... Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I can say about Inzamam. The the interesting stat I did see uh, in terms of, you know, Bully often talk about contributions to to winning. Um, so Inzamam averaged 78 in Pakistan wins and 28 in losses. So look, I think that's got to be, I don't, you, you might know better, but that feels like one of the biggest disparities and just sort of a remarkable insight into, you know, how much of an impact he did have on winning for Pakistan.
1: Yeah, he was massively impactful as a player and a leader. I mean, Inzamam over the course of his career, played for 10 different captains, including captaining the side himself for, for 31 tests. And that says something very positive, I think, about his leadership, that he managed to last 31 tests in an era of cricket in Pakistan where captains were being changed like underwear. I mean, only was a Makrim captain the side for more than 20 tests during Inzamam's career. So, you know, kept that off. He had shining moments. He scored 100. Uh, Big Daddy 100 in his 100th test, which was also a victory a- against India, I think from memory, but he had 184 in his 100th test. Look, he, he was run out a lot in his test career. He wasn't a tremendous runner between wickets, but he was just a fantastic cricketer. And uh, and whenever he played Australia, I always felt like he was going to score runs against us. And I, I think everyone really felt like that.
0: Yeah, a little bit like Lippi. I f- have first memories of him in that 92 World Cup, so played a role in that semi-final. Um, And then England obviously uh, getting a little bit of heartbreak in the, in the final against Pakistan at the MCG back in 1992. So those were definitely my first memories. The first thing that then springs to mind is the amount of times he got run out somewhat comically. Um, So kind of had a quick look at that 40 times. He was run out in his one day uh, international career. So um, there's a few bad calls um, in there, uh, no doubt. But again, we talked about this on a previous edition and, I couldn't really remember too much um, about VVS Lakshman um, just because he didn't particularly perform well against England. So, I, you know, I didn't recall too many massive innings that he had, whereas Inzi was the opposite of that, had a really, really good record against England. So if I go back, I think to actually a test series um, played in England um, shortly after that World Cup, it might have even been not the 92 um, World Cup. Uh, sorry, ninety-two World Cup year that pa- that Pakistan then came uh, to England for the English ninety-two summer. So memories of him uh, scoring runs in England um, and uh, actually played the seamers pretty well as well in England, which um, wasn't always the case for for a lot of batsmen from from Pakistan and India in those days. So yeah, certainly a a, a cracking player and and like Raj says, a man after my uh, own heart because a balanced start to him I think was a cheeseburger in each hand, wasn't it, Baldy? We'll move on to the final instalment of this show, counting down from 70. And we've got someone very aptly placed at number 66.
1: Yeah, 66, top of the club, the captain of the first tier of the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. Number 66, no pun intended, is English number four batter Joe Root has so far played 107 tests or slightly more than that now, actually, now that he's played a couple against India. But as I, when I compiled these stats a couple little while ago, 107 tests, exactly 9,100 runs at an average of 50 and a high score of 254, 2200s, 50-50s, which is good enough for 12th all time, can you believe? And an average above replacement player of plus 7.69. And he has a five for in test cricket. I didn't know that. There you go. He has a five for in test cricket. And just had the incredible 2021 for, I think, two, three, four hundreds. How many hundreds did he have in 2021 so far? It seems like every time he batted, he got a hundred. Jeepers creepers. Six. So there you go. Six hundreds. with the ashes to go by the end of the summer so look an incredible incredible performance for Joe Root I think I I think he's tied now for most test hundreds in a calendar year for England I think only Compton and maybe Cook I can't remember who the other one is but he's pretty close to most hundreds in a calendar year for for England
0: so Baldy whilst he's absolutely placed at number 66 on this list I think the fact you've gypped him out of one of his hard earned test hundreds um, 23 test hundreds rather than the Uh, the 22 and and you've also done him out of 158 runs as well so um, I expect on next week's uh, list he might have popped up a few more places so we we might see him in the late 50s um, for for Joe Root but look I I think the biggest thing in my view around Joe Root when I compare him to someone that and there's a lot of comparison made with uh, with him for a number of reasons not least they're from a similar part of England and, and Joe Root um, would probably talk about this guy as one of his mentors um, in the game, Michael Vaughan. Um, Michael Vaughan, uh, not quite as good a player and I think shown by the fact that I don't think he's going to appear um, in this list, um, but had a test um, or average when he wasn't captain of 50. Um, but that dropped down to 36 as captain um, Michael Vaughan, whereas Joe Root's average is actually a tick better as captain than it is um, when he's uh, yeah when he's not in the captaincy hot seat, Um which you know, I, I really think is you know testament to. They talk about the Australian cricket captain being the second most job, uh, second most important job in Australia um, after the Prime Minister Scott Morrison, obviously proving that wrong because um, there's plenty of people that um, are more effective in their jobs um, outside of the Prime Minister currently in Australia. But this is a cricket, not politics, podcast, so we'll move on uh, from that pretty quickly. But look, jokes aside, I, I really do think that. The pressure, particularly the international captains are put under now, has got to be worth something. And for a guy to have um, probably one of the best records as a as a Test captain, uh, twenty seven wins as a Test captain for England, which I think is um, good enough for uh, number one, if not, uh, yeah, certainly number two on the list um, of England captains. And that you know that's the thing that really shows that he's
1: turned into a pretty decent leader as well. Yeah, you guys are on me about the stats today. I missed one test and he scores 158 runs and all of a sudden I look like a bit of a goose. Of course, he does have 9,258 runs in tests now. I was only one test behind and an extra century will throw that in there. And he is going up all the time. I think at the start of the year I had Joe Root somewhere in the 70s and then he went to Sri Lanka and he climbed into the low 70s and then he played India and then he went into the high 60s and then he played England. Uh, he played India again at home and, and he's in the mid 60s now at sixty-six. I think the number there uh, has got a bit of a pun to it, so no pun intended. I will move him, particularly if he scores runs against Australia in the Ashes. Average 47.79 as captain, um, and under Alistair Cook, average 52.8. And that average as captain is is climbing all the time, as you say, Adam, because he did have a bit of a lean trot there for a little while as captain of that England cricket team, but he's come good, particularly in the last year, I think five or six hundreds uh, in the last year or so, or calendar year 2021 anyway, Raj.
2: Yeah, I had a look at Joe Root's numbers and, and I thought, yeah, they're good. You know, he's t- almost at 10,000 runs, good average. Uh, but then you realise that he's actually only 30. He's only 30. He's got a long way to go and uh, then this back back half of his career. And when you dive into the, sort of the year-by-year calculations, which we've kind of talked about already, but first thing you notice is that England play a hell of a lot of test matches. Uh, 2015 and 16, the Root had 58 innings just in those two years um but secondly because of that when you have a form slump like we've talked about earlier uh it really it really is accentuated uh and you know you've got people saying that he's no longer part of the big four and all those things which which i think is is completely rubbish because then he has a year like this year and he, he's scoring runs everywhere in all countries and all conditions and big hundreds too i think uh We've actually got a serious cricketer on our hands here And he's going to shoot up the rankings Before he retires And I guess one thing for me that I'm going to keep An eye on is The number of hundreds he has, because we did mention that number 29, which is kind of a little gateway there Or a benchmark uh, he was at 1700s before this season and now as we've mentioned he's up to 23 so as that number starts to go up uh, it will need to go up because he's lucky to pay, play over 160 tests in total uh, before he's done but uh, I think that he's going to be he's going to shoot up this list over to you Binksy.
0: Yeah, Bordy, just one quick question on the stats here. And um, look, I was trying to do a bit of comparison and and naturally you go and look at the Kane-Virat-Smith comparison because these guys have been talked about in those echelons as the top four batters. Conversion rates is the question and Raj has alluded to it a little bit there. They're not too shabby now, 2300s versus 5050s. You You're comparing that to someone like Virat Kohli who's actually an even split, bizarrely, 2700s, 2700s. Um, 50s. Do you mark a guy down for scoring so consistently in terms of the number of 50s he's got Um, or do you mark him down because of the conversion rate when you look at those stats in your uh, little algorithm?
1: Yeah, you can see it both ways, can't you? I mean, a guy like Joe Root gets to fifty so often. He does the hard yards for England, particularly in that side where he didn't have a lot of batting around him a lot of the time. And so, I, I give him actually a lot of credit for getting to fifty as often as he did. A lot of people will be harsh on Joe Root for that conversion rate—twenty-three hundreds and fifty-fifties. You know, that's less than sort of a, a you know one-to-two ratio, but. He's going to catch up. I mean, we've seen him this year. He's got 600s in the calendar year 2021, but only the 150. And if he can keep cashing in anywhere close to that ratio, he's going to climb that list of hundreds, you know, reasonably quickly. There are very, very few cricketers. In fact, I'm just having a look at stats here. And you talk about Michael Vaughan. He had the same number of of hundreds versus fifties as well. But there are only... Of the guys who qualified to be considered for the Hall of Fame, there are only 16 bats that have got more hundreds or the same number of hundreds as they as they have 50 so that's a pretty rare achievement to be there at coley like and have the same number of hundreds as 50s but i'm i'm expecting joe root to catch up that that ratio and to me it's not an issue um it certainly doesn't hurt him from my um hall of fame reckoning but i know that it has been a criticism that's been leveled at him in the past particularly when he's being compared to coley williamson and smith
3: boys i know we're, i know we're out of time pretty much on, on joe root but uh, you know you guys mentioned it before there around uh, that he could go so much higher on this list my question that i just want a, a quick answer on for for each of you is I- have we just seen the peak of joe root like is this year which has been absolutely tremendous is this his best year because if it's not i think we're talking about him way higher on this list if he's got another level to go then he's going to go way higher on this list by the time he's done.
0: Lippy, it's a great question. And look, who knows whether he has a year as good as this year. And let's be honest as well, we've still got a couple of months of it to go. So if he can snag himself a score in Brisbane or uh, Adelaide or, or even at the MCG, we're talking about this being a very, very good year, um, if not a great year. I don't know whether we'll see him repeat that because it is off the charts, particularly in terms of his conversion rates. What I do think is he can still get better. Um, I, I think there's a shelf life for an England captain. Um, And I wonder whether he's coming up to that after this Ashes, whether or not they win the Ashes or not. It's time for him to maybe sort of let someone else have a crack for the next cycle. But he loves the game so much that I see him sticking around. And he's not in the white ball squads at the moment. And so he's got that benefit of, of someone like a Jimmy Anderson. As long as he's got the hunger to go on playing test cricket, he could quite conceivably play. Uh, for, you know, for another four or five years. But, you know, that's a long, long, long long way away. We look at how early someone like Alistair Cook retired when he he probably had a little bit of gas uh, left in the tank from a physical perspective. But I would certainly hazard that Baldy might be sticking him a bit higher up this list by the time he finishes career.
1: Yeah, I don't think we've seen the best of Joe Root. I think he's got a lot of runs this year. He scored a lot of hundreds. Despite the fact that he's got 600s, he's still averaging in that 66 area. I think he's got another season or another calendar year or two of averaging above 50 in that 60 range across a calendar year. So look, if he plays a lot of tests and England do play a lot of tests, I I think that he's going to have at least one more year like this in the course of his career because he's not quite at his peak yet in terms of batting. You know, that sort of ponting era, 31 to 34, that was when ponting was really in his pomp and where a lot of batters reached their physical and and mental peak. So I would expect another couple of years of, of strong performances from Joe Root.
2: Yeah, I agree with um, with the sentiments there from Baldy and Binksy. It's around sustaining it. Whether or not it's his peak, I'm not sure. But if he can sustain it for two or three years, scoring four or five hundreds a year, scoring 1,200 runs, that that, that that's going to send him into the stratosphere in terms of uh, this list. So, yeah, it's about sustaining it for me, and I think he can do it.
0: Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the Hall of Fame. Bonus points for any listeners who can tell us the number of animal references in this particular episode. As we've discussed over the course of the last few weeks on the podcast, more and more short content coming up with regular releases. After this Hall of Fame, you will see another This Week in Cricket in your feeds. And our next long form segment is around the evolution of T20 cricket. So if you do have any comments on whether you like the evolution of t20 cricket hate the evolution that's ruining our red ball game if you listen to many a british journalist then please pop a comment in our social media feed or send us an email the top order podcast at gmail.com or jump on to the website where you can also see baldy's labor of love evolving in the hall of fame but for tonight it's good night and god bless and we'll see you soon good night